what we see in our text today. You can turn to Romans 9, but it's singing that His Word will never fail. There's probably no chapter in Scripture that people spend more energy trying to explain away than Romans chapter 9. And we'll, we'll deal with some of that as we walk through, but some of it's just obvious, um, as we'll see today. And uh, just encourage you to be um, digging in, to be reading ahead, to be praying into, thinking about. One of the things I was doing this week was just taking my Bible on my phone and just playing Romans 9 through 11 as I was riding or as I was, um, I think, when I was at the gym one time and things like that. Just to have this truth sinking in, have it being in context, seeing where Paul starts and where he's going. Many times that will help you make sense of the middle of someone's argument. If, if you can see where they're headed, their conclusion, you can see what they're trying to get you to believe, then it helps you interpret the things in the middle um, Better, But I'm going to read from Romans 9, 1 to 13 this morning, um, and then we'll go from there. This is God's Word. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but it is the children of promise are counted offspring. For this is what the promise said, About this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our father Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Thus far God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we bow in your presence. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you have revealed a lot about your salvation, that we might rest in you and hope in you and trust in you and not in our own selves, not in our own intellects, we lean not on our own understanding, Lord. We look to you. 
I pray that you would help me to preach your word. That your spirit would use me as an instrument. That you would speak to your people with a living voice. And that you would be equally preparing and enabling us to hear your word as your word. The Holy Spirit working in our hearts to shape us into the image of Christ. As we sung, your love and your authority is being revealed in these texts. So help us to be good students who just look to you and listen to you and believe you and rest in you. So bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. It is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Peter and Judas are an interesting comparison in contrast, aren't they? And you see Peter and you see Judas, and at the end you see them both betray the Lord. But you only see one repent. One commits suicide, the other repents and is restored. Judas was not a true convert. Imagine being that close to Jesus and missing it. But he was just as much a Jew as Peter was. Being an ethnic Jew, being a seed, a physical seed or descendant of Abraham was never enough to guarantee being a part of the true spiritual people of God. Peter's an example of a true Jew who though sins and sins greatly is restored and used greatly. Yes, he was a part of ethnic Israel, but he was truly a child of God because of the work of the Spirit in his life under the ministry of Jesus. See, we're in a study of the book of Romans, and we're going to think about um, physical seed versus spiritual seed today. But we started out in the book of Romans, and, it, and it's always important to remember, but in the light of the text that we're entering into now, it is vitally important to remember what we've already learned. We didn't start the book out with sovereignty and salvation. We started the book out with Paul's desire to go to Rome to preach the gospel and giving the gospel as the thesis statement. And from there he started, and here's what he showed us in, in the second part of chapter 1 up through half of chapter 3, that all Jews are lost and need a Savior. All Jews deserve condemnation. None deserve His mercy. None deserve to be saved. All of us born, and Gentiles as well, as we went further in that section, are lost and need a Savior. None righteous. No, not one. None understands. None seeks God. I'm just quoting Scripture. All of the human race are born in sin, live in sin, Children of wrath by nature, Ephesians 2, 1, 3, you can go read that. All of us, what we deserve is condemnation. Slash, what we deserve is justice from God, not mercy. None of us has a claim on God's mercy in and of ourselves. He doesn't owe us 
mercy. What he owes us is condemnation because of our breaking his law. And so Paul established that fact in, in the first part of the book so that then when he turned and showed, he showed us all that were unrighteous so he could show us that the righteousness that we need is found in Jesus. That justification, being pardoned for our sin and accepted as righteous is through faith in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus, we know that our sin is imputed to Him, that He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, that His righteousness might be imputed to us, credited to our account, that we might be justified on the basis of Jesus and not ourselves. So we are justified by faith alone, and we are then, God begins to sanctify us. And we saw a great theology of sanctification in chapters 6 through 8, ending with this just crescendo at the end of chapter 8, that we've enjoyed that encouragement and strengthening that comes there at the end of chapter 8. And now in chapter 9, we've begun wading into some deeper water, haven't we? Right? We're wading in. And God's revealing some stuff to us. And we started with Paul's burden for the Jews last time. And if you didn't hear that sermon, I would encourage you to go listen to it. It just sets the stage for what we're going to be seeing in Romans 9, 10, and 11. But Paul had that great burden for Israel. He has a great burden. He has a desire that they be saved. He wants them to come to Christ. He would be willing to sacrifice himself if that would be what would save them. He knows that it wouldn't. And the question is, why don't all the Jews believe in their Messiah? We talked about that last time. And so from that burden we saw in those, those texts there in 1 to 5, now he turns the corner. Here's my burden. Here's my grief. Here's what I wish for my kinsmen according to the flesh. And yet all of them don't believe. In fact, most of them don't believe. But in light of that fact, he turns the corner in verse 6 to give us the thesis statement for the rest of the section 9 to 11, chapters 9 to 11. And the thesis statement is God's word has not failed. God's word has not failed. So we're going to look today at verses, verse 6 and 7, uh, 6 to 9 really. I didn't put it right in my notes here. We're going to look verses 6 to 9, and we're going to see that there is a true Israel in the midst of ethnic Israel. We're going to look at the distinction Paul draws between ethnic Israel and true Israel. Election is the main, listen to me, election is the main proof Paul lays forward to show that God's word has not failed. And I know election is some of that deep water in Scripture, and it's one of those things that is fought against, right? I understand that. I fought against it when I was first exposed to it myself. But it's just so all over the Word <laughs> that it's hard to get away from because it's true. And that's what Paul is going to present as his meta sort of proof that the word hasn't failed is that it is God who shows mercy. It is God's cho choice of His people that makes the difference. Yes, in His, His prescriptive will, we are all commanded to obey and we don't because we are willfully in bondage to sin and we willfully will not believe in Him unless He changes our hearts. 
But election is the main proof of why the Word of God has not failed. In relationship, now this section is in relationship to the Jews, right? We're going to get to the Gentiles, we're going to get to us. But right now Paul's talking about his kinsmen in the flesh. And he's telling us that the Word of God hasn't failed. And he's going to develop this as we go through this section. Up in ending, what he, remember, what he, he starts this section with a burden and grief and groaning, and he ends it with worship. So, what makes that transition? It's a focus on God and His Word and His truth. So, that's what we're going to be developing with proof and seeing Paul's argument as we move forward. But I, I, I said it before and I'll say it again. We are wading into deep theological waters here. We are wading into doctrines that have to be presented with care. We are wading into places where sometimes men get proud and beat people up with these truths. When they should do the exact opposite in our lives. is humble us and make us loving. Many don't make the effort to understand these things. But look at me. It wouldn't be here if you didn't need it. And you need like crazy to embrace God's sovereignty. Over everything, including salvation, so that you will rest in the God who is God, the one who is true. You know, I heard a story one time of a preacher who instead of preaching his sermon, he just stood up and read Romans 9. And at the end of reading Romans 9, when he was done, a gentleman stood up in the congregation and said, I don't believe a word of that. All he did was read the Word. Listen, there's no knee-jerk reaction doctrine like the doctrine of election because it humbles us. And in our own limited understanding, it doesn't make sense to us. And we want to make it make sense. So we'll take uh, Ephesians 1-4 and try to pit against it John 3-16. And John 3-16 says nothing about who will believe. Just about how God has loved the world that those who believe might be saved. Just don't do that. For some reason, election turns us into billy goats, right? Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Just stop. Let me, let me take the pressure off for you. How about we do this? How about we just study this section and see what it says before we decide whether or not we believe it? How about we just ask God to teach us the fullness of His truth? And open up our hearts so that we can embrace what is really true in His Word. But don't make conclusions before you hear the argument. Before you see the glory. The thing that led Him to worship. Is the air or the heat on? I'm not sure. Check it, Sam. This doctrine's hot enough without it being hot in here. But listen, hang in there till we get to chapter 11. Pray over these things. Study them. Meditate on them. And just look at them and ask what, like we said before, what does the Word of God teach? Is this what the Bible says? And today it's just a theological main point for you to embrace. True Israel is the spiritual seed of Abraham. And I think that's what we'll see in the text.
And later we'll see that that's what we're as Gentiles grafted into. But we're talking about the Jews this morning in this text. Look at verse, uh, verse 6 again. This section, the word and true Israel. And Paul just makes his, his statement of his thesis. It is not as though the word of God has failed. Yes, the majority of Jews are not believing, but that doesn't mean that God's word has failed. In fact, God's word, as we sung, cannot fail. It will accomplish what he sent it forth to do. Read Isaiah 55. It never returns to him void. Many of his ways are, are confounding to us because we don't have the intellect that he has, but we can believe what he's revealed, and this is sufficient for us. So as we remember Paul's burden and he mourns over the unbelief, he greatly desires the salvation of the Jews. Now he begins developing this section that starts with his thesis point. The word of God has not failed. He's going to show us that all is according to plan. That His Word hasn't failed and it will never fail. He, he moves from burden to worship and, and He's going to take us along for the ride and hopefully we will embrace what led Him to give all praise, glory, and honor to God. God's Word has not failed. And we need to remember that. And we need to be keep coming back to that as we move through these sections in Romans 9 and then 10 and then 11. We can come back and say, this is what He's showing us. This is what He's proving. That it never, ever will fail. Let's go ahead and look at one of the places that will show us where Paul is going so that we, I said you can look ahead sometimes and see where a person is taking you. That will help you rightly interpret the, the material between where you are and that section. And in, in chapter 11, verse 5, he says this and he, he quotes Isaiah and Isaiah was talking about he was the only one. God hasn't rejected his people up in verse 1. That, uh, that no, by no means, strongest possible negative. Uh, and he quotes Elijah. And then in verse 5 he says, So too, now watch this, So too at this present time there is a remnant of the Jews chosen by grace. There is a remnant chosen by grace. See, that's kind of where Paul is taking us. And then he'll show where he will in the midst of that show us how we as Gentiles fit in. And we will end with that glorious section on praise. But what I don't want you to miss is what Paul is saying. Election is the proof that the word of God hasn't failed. The doctrine of election is what proves that the word of God hasn't failed. But one of the things people do in this section, and I understand why they do it, but they try to take these individuals that are mentioned here and turn them into groups. See, this is not talking about individuals. This is just talking about groups. This is not, has nothing to do with individual salvation. This is just talking about God's working out His redemption through these groups. Well, that's clever. That's clever. And there are places where God uses a person to represent a group and will we'll clearly make that attachment, right? But he, it seems like in this section, he's going out of his way to show these individuals to make a point. Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Esau, 
all, talks about twins and birth and before they're born or had done any good or evil, you, you really can't be hermeneutically sound and not see that this section is talking about individuals first and foremost. Just We let the Word speak, right? And what the Word is showing us is Abraham, the father of the faithful, and who are his seed. And we trace down his seed through Isaac. We, 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 ha- we are talking about individuals here. And we're dealing with God's creation of his covenant people through these individuals being included in the covenant line. And we're going to a place where he can say, yeah, at this time there is a remnant chosen by grace. A remnant of individual Jews who had come to faith at that time. We saw it happen in Acts, right? In chapter 2 and 3 and following, you see this remnant coming to faith. But not all Jews come to faith. In fact, most of them don't. But see, Paul's starting us off here just to hit us with God's word hasn't failed. And he begins to show us why that's true with the Jews. Exhibit A today is Isaac of why that's true. And we're only going to get through Isaac today and then we'll look at the text that everybody howls about, verse 13. We'll look at 10 through 13 next time and uh, seek to explain that and and show that to you. But what we see here as we begin in in, uh, 6b, we see a narrowing taking place, don't we? We see a covenantal narrowing taking place and a statement of who the true seed and offspring are. And so after saying the word hasn't failed, it is not as though the word of God has failed. He says this at at 6b. The second half of, you ever hear me say 6b or a whatever, b is the second half of the verse. 6b, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. The nation Israel, the Jewish people, not all of them are truly Israel. Ethnic Israel and true Israel are not the same group. And in, in Net Bible translates it this way, For not all those who are descended from Israel are truly Israel. And that's, that's, a, that's a good bringing forward of Paul's thoughts here. See, within ethnic Israel, within all of those who are natural-born Jews, only part of them believe, that remnant, Right? So within ethnic Israel, there is to be found the remnant or true Israel. I have a slide that kind of pictures that. But, you know, all of the Jewish people, and then you have in the middle what Paul is saying, within that group there is a remnant that is truly Israel. Not all who are descended from Israel, who are according to the flesh within the people of Israel, truly belong to Israel. What's he saying? It's not enough to be physically born. You cannot be physically born into the kingdom. I mean, the same thing Jesus told Nicodemus, right? You must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. You must be... Reborn, the Spirit has to apply the gospel to you. 
See, Paul is making a point because this is the common belief of that time. The Jews of Jesus and Paul's time assumed that just being of the physical lineage of Abraham was enough. By fact, de facto, being born into that people group meant they were in with God. And you can see it, I'm not going to take the time this morning, but if you go read in chapter 8 of John where Jesus is talking about who true disciples abide in His Word and, you know, uh, all of that. And He starts talking about being delivered from sin. And what is the Jews' response? We're, ch- we're children of Abraham. We've never been in bondage to anybody. We're God's people. And Jesus looks at His opponents in, in that context. He says, you don't believe me. Because you're not of my sheep. There is a true Israel within the bounds of ethnic Israel. So that's why Paul is saying here, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And he keeps going with that. Abraham's seed, secondly, and this is the second point, last point. Abraham's seed and the true Israel. But remember, as we're digging into these things in Romans 9, and I'll probably say this a lot, remember what chapters 1 to 3 teach us. None of us are good. None of us deserve mercy. We all fall short. We deserve justice, not mercy. So Abraham's seed and the true Israel. Abraham, I mean, Isaac is Paul's exhibit A. And Isaac, the individual, It's who he's talking about. It's his individual exhibit A here. Don't be surprised when we're wading into heavy doctrines like this that maybe the the enemy might want to distract you with hot temperatures and cause the air conditioning to go out. (laughs) I saw the guys going out the back door. I'm sure they're looking at it. Focus in. Fan yourself if you need to. We need to pay attention here. But exhibit A is Isaac. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Just to be his physical offspring doesn't mean you're the seed of Abraham talked about in the Old Testament. Not all are children of Abraham because they're his physical offspring, but look at this, Through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. Through Isaac. See, what we're doing here, Paul's going to set us two sets of brothers in contrast. And we're beginning with Isaac and Ishmael, and next week we'll look at Jacob and Esau. But he sets these two sets of brothers out with uh, two parallel arguments. Uh, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau. So we'll see the second half next time. But today, through Isaac, not Ishmael, your seed will be called. Your offspring will be named. So this is what I was talking about. There's a covenantal narrowing going on here. right? God's purpose is being worked out through the covenant seed. And so it's not enough just to be born of Abraham. You have to be born of the Spirit, if you want to put it that way. Through Isaac. Not Ishmael. And what here Paul's doing, he's quoting Genesis 21.12. Through Isaac, your offspring will be named. 
And then what we have in verses 8, uh, really in verse 8, is a commentary on Genesis 20, 21, 12. And Paul says this, he's telling, kind of many rabbis would do this, this means, this is what this means, this is what this text is teaching us. And he says this in verse 8, this means that it's not the children of the flesh, now watch the shift here, who are the children of God. So the remnant Israel, those are the children of God. Those who have been born again by God's work, applying His gospel to them. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Again, we hear Paul, what he's trying to communicate. Not all of the physical children of Abraham are the true children of God. Not all of ethnic Israel is true Israel. There is a true Israel in the midst of this larger group of ethnic Israel. Those are the one in chapter 11 he's talking about when he says there's a remnant chosen by grace. But we've already seen in our study of Romans that not all Jews are God's children. Just having the law and having the circumcision and going through the religious motions does not qualify one to be a child of God. Romans 2, 8, we've seen this in chapter 2, 28 and 29. Look at this. Remind, be reminded of this. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. So see, you see, there are Jews and true Jews. Ethnic Jews and true Jews. And what Paul is saying is no one is a Jew who just has the outward stuff. Nor is circumcision, think true circumcision, all through the Old Covenant, Old Testament, God was pointing out that what you need is a circumcised heart. This is what you need. This is what I'm working in my people. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is for man, but God. Bottom line, salvation is not a Jewish birthright. I mean, we all need to get that. And there, there are preachers on TV today who will tell you that the Jews are good because they're Jews. That's a knucklehead thing to say. A first grader reading the Bible would know that's not true. But somehow that gets put out and people believe it. People believe it because they're not reading their Bible. They're just letting people cherry pick verses for them and take the top of their head off and put those in there. That's where laziness will get us, right? We come to church, just feed me. I don't have time to do this during the week. You just tell me what. That's a dangerous thing to do. That's how cults get started. Right? Don't you believe a word I say unless it's right here in this word. Salvation is not a Jewish birthright. Those who are the true seed of Abraham are not all of those who were physically born to Israel. It's, a, it's an inner group. That, that display, that, that slide I showed you. 
I mean, we see this, and we know that gospel is applying these, I mean, Paul is applying these things to, to the Gentiles and showing them that they're the seed of Abraham in Galatians. But the, you see the same thing there, and, and it's true of the Jews as well. In verse 16 in, in chapter 3, and I'll let you go read the, all of chapter 3. But it says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, or seed. I wish they would just be consistent. Seed. It does not say, and to seeds or offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So the promises were made to Abraham in his seed. Who is that seed? Christ and all in Christ. The true Israel. In Genesis 3.29, And therefore, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's true offspring or Abraham's seed, the true people of God, the children of God, heirs according to promise. The children of promise are those who have faith in Jesus Christ and they're therefore united to Him. Not just all of the Jews and certainly not just all of the Gentiles. But in the context of our passage here, He's showing us and he's, he's commenting on, on Genesis 21-12 and he says, it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. What's the purpose? What's he trying to convince us of? God takes the initiative in creating his covenant people through his covenant promise. Just like he called Abraham out of Ur, Right? And converted Abraham and used him to father Isaac and Jacob and on down the line. It's God's initiative who created the people. And it's God's initiative who are creating His church, His his people, his, His children of God. Who are the true children of Abraham. Look at verse 9. So the word God hasn't failed... Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. See, he's explaining why they don't all believe. Not all children of Abraham because they're his offering. Through Isaac, your offering will be, your, your offspring will be named. It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise. And then he connects it here in verse 9 with four and another quote. For th- this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. See, Isaac was the child of promise. He was the one that God had promised and God waited long in fulfilling. He waited so long that Abraham and Sarah had dried up. The way of women had ceased with Sarah. There was not going to be any babies born in this family unless God did a miraculous work in Abraham and Sarah to produce Isaac. Because I don't know how much you know about that and kids, your parents can explain it to you. But when the way of women ceases, no more getting pregnant. I mean, that's why he's called Isaac. You know what that means? He laughs. The one who laughs. Because both Abraham and Sarah laughed when God told them they were going to have a child. Now they deny it. But sorry, it's recorded in the Word. Might as well admit it. They didn't know it would be at that time. The child of promise, representative of 
the people of promises, of the promise. Think about this. Type of who? The great and glorious child of promise. The true and greater child of promise. The, 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 the true and greater miraculously born son. Who is Jesus. Born of a virgin. Through the work of the Spirit. God and man together. To come. Why did He come through the womb of a virgin and not just pop on the cross? Well, righteousness had to be fulfilled. If He was going to be the spotless Lamb of God, He had to come first and fulfill all righteousness for His people. So therefore He came and kept the law we had broken. He kept it in thought, word, and deed. He kept it out of love for the Father, for His people. I mean, He never had other gods or worshipped the wrong way or took the name of the Lord in vain or dishonored the day. He, he never was unjustly angry or looked on another with lust, right? Or stole or coveted or lied. He never did any of that in his heart, much less in action. Because he was the spotless Lamb of God. He fulfilled all righteousness. And then, then... He took upon Himself the sin debt of the children of God. The ones that were given to Him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4 and other places. And He took the condemnation we deserve. That's what was happening on the cross. The physical punishment was horrendous, but it was nothing compared to Him taking the eternal hell we deserve upon Himself on that cross. So much wrath poured out on the sun that the universe's lights went dim, right? Sun didn't shine. He was forsaken so that we don't have to be. He paid the sin debt that we cannot pay. So if we'll be reconciled to God, it'll be through faith in this true and greater Son of promise, the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says He died for our sins according to the Scripture, meaning it was predicted in the Old Testament. He was buried, and here's what proves it's true. He was raised the third day. He was raised, that's the basis on which God commands everybody to repent, remember, in Acts. He was raised the third day. He was with His disciples for over 40 days after that. He appeared to over 500 people at once before He ascended into heaven, proving it all true. And if you're going to have a case for rejecting Jesus, you're going to have to disprove the resurrection. And as I said at the memorial yesterday, good luck. People have been trying to do that for 2,000 years. Haven't even come close. Sure, people make a lot of bald assertions and accusations. But true historical evidence bears out the resurrection in so many ways. This child of promise, Jesus, came and lived for us and died for us and was raised and offers to us, remember, chapters 3 through 5, His salvation as a free gift, if we'll have it. Is God at work in you? Is God convicting you? Is God showing you your need of a Savior? Then Jesus is that Savior. Jesus is a free gift to you if you will turn and trust. If you will repent and look to God and accept His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting and resting in Him. So Paul is saying, the, child of, the children of promise 
The ones who are trusting in Jesus. And that promise goes back behind Isaac into Genesis 3.15 when one was coming to crush the serpent's head. And all through the Old Testament, this promise is just repeating and growing and expanding until Christ came in fulfillment of all of that. You can't be born into God's family, kids. Your parents' faith won't count for you. You must turn and trust in Jesus. And I would suggest you do that today. As well as to you adults who, for whatever reason, are resisting Him. Listen, here's the bottom line on this section. And we're going to continue this same line of thought next time as we look at 10 to 13 and look at Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau and explain to you what is meant in verse 13 when it says, Jacob, I have loved, and Esau, I have hated. We're going to stop right there. But it's plainly evident. Listen to me. God never promised to save every individual Israelite. The corporate election of the people didn't guarantee the individual salvation of every person born of Abraham. But the promise, the promise guarantees the salvation of every one given to Jesus. Everyone trusting and resting in Christ. See, God never promised to save every Israelite, but He did promise to save the repentant. And we're going to talk more about that tonight. So I hope you'll come back and be a part of that. Just a few points of application then. That which is true of the Jews is true of the Gentiles. You cannot be physically born into God's kingdom. You must be born again. Everyone, Christ rejects none who come to Him in faith. But none of us ever come to Him in faith unless He's at work in our hearts, right? But those who turn and trust in Jesus give evidence that God's at work in them, that they have been born again, so that the fruit of that is repentance and faith. See, you must be born again. You must have faith in Jesus. You must trust in Him to be sure that you are a child of promise, part of the true seed of Abraham to whom the promises were made. And I just ask you this morning, have you been born again? I mean, Jesus said you must be born again, so pretty good question. Born of the Spirit, born from above, however we want to translate that. Have you turned from sin and trust? I don't mean you're sinless now, but you've turned from rejecting God and His ways and pursuing your own way and indulging and enjoying sin. You've turned to God in grief and repentance and received Christ. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone this morning? You must be to be the children of promise to be the true seed of Abraham. So number two, God faithfully works repentance and faith in all that He calls to salvation. I mean, we saw that, right? We've already studied this back in in chapter 8 in in, in verse 29. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son in order that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30, and those whom He predestined, He also called. That was effectual calling, calling to faith, remember? And those whom He's justified, He also glorified. God begins the good work and He finishes it. He works repentance and faith in the hearts of those in whom He's saving. 
And listen, repentance is more. Repentance is more than just agreeing that you're a sinner. A sinner. Just praying a prayer and agreeing you're a sinner. Right? If that comes from a place of contrition and grief over sin, then yes, that, that's a worthy thing to do. But it's, repentance is more than just agreeing with God. It includes a grief and a hatred over sin and a turning from it and a desire to be free from it and, a tr- and then faith, of course. Conversion is faith and repentance. We don't talk enough about repentance. That's why I'm going to talk about it tonight. So you can't be born into God's kingdom. You must be born again, born of the Spirit. You must come to faith in Jesus, right? And God works faith and repentance in those He saves. And listen, I just want to end with this because this is what Paul is saying and this is what we'll see he develops. Unless the doctrine of election is true, God's Word has failed. Unless the doctrine of election is true... God's word has failed. What do you mean? Well, he either saves everyone he intends to save, or he tries to save some and he fails. See, as with the Jews, corporate election didn't guarantee individual salvation. Belonging to the true people of God is based on God's free choice. It is not a birthright. I mean, what does the Apostle John tell us in 1 John? Boiling it down. It's not that we loved him, right? It's not that we loved him first. He loved us first. Our salvation is rooted in eternity past when we were given to the Son. But what Paul is saying to us is that, no, not all of the Jews have believed And yet God's word hasn't failed. Why? Because the remnant that's chosen by grace, chapter 11, are the ones that he's saving and he promises to save every last one of them. Now his prescriptive will for us is repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone in whom he's at work will do that. But see, this is I'm laying it forward for you out of love because I believe it. Because God has convinced me of it and I believe that's what this word is teaching and there's no way to get around it. Yes, you can rationalize getting around it. But being faithful with God's word, you can't get around it. And the verse that arrested me was Acts 13, 48. When it said, all who were appointed to eternal life believed. You know what it says in the Greek? All who were appointed to eternal life believed. Not the other way around. All who believed were appointed to eternal life. That's not what it says. But all who were appointed to eternal life believed. And at that point, I was hit with a gut punch. And between that and reading Knowing God by J.I. Packer, I I came to know better than what I thought I knew. And that, that God is God. He loved us first. If we come to Him, it's because He's at work in us. Having chosen us and given us to the Son, He is working out that redemption, sending forth His Word, calling all of His children to faith in His Son. Be patient. Walk through Romans 9, 10 and 11 with us. Know what the Word says about it before you reject it. And I hope 
when all is said and done, you'll see it and you won't reject it. True Israel is that remnant chosen by grace we saw in 11.5. Those Jews who by God's grace hope in Jesus. So unlike the man I mentioned up front who said, I don't believe word of that, I pray that you will end up embracing every word of it because it's God's word and because it is true. So read, pray, listen to, meditate on Romans 9, 10, and 11 as we move through. Submit it to God and ask Him to work in your heart to confirm and show you what His Word is really teaching. And if we do, when we get through with this long section, we're going to end up in that place Paul ended up like this. Praising God for His wisdom and for His counsel and for His blessing. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, all we want is for Your Spirit to teach us Your Word. To help us rest in You as our sovereign God. To know that our salvation was Your idea and Your good work. It didn't depend upon us. We were lost and rebelling against You and running the other direction. Just like the Apostle Paul, who was going to kill Your church when You arrested him on the road of Damascus. Bless Your Word to humble us, and to cause us to stop striving, to help us to believe in Your sovereignty and rest in Your grace. To not think we have to have all the answers but to know that your words answer us. What you've given us in your word is sufficient to teach us everything we need for life and godliness. And we're only really ready to live when we embrace the fact that you loved us first, that you caused us to be born again, that you will finish the work that you've begun. Thank you for this truth. We pray for you to help us have the proper care and diligence as we work through it. And help us to, at the end of this section, Lord, end up in that place of submission and praise where we seek to honor and glorify you above all else. Lord, convert those who don't know you. We pray we entrust them to you and to your will and sanctify those of us who do and light or relight or increase a passion in us to have our eyes in your book every day growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Work in and through us we pray. We give you the praise and ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stay.